Thank you for listening to this recording from Chestnut Hill Baptist Church. Today, Pastor David Sight preaches from Luke chapter 2 with a message called Our Father's Business. We hope you find this message valuable and enriching. Our scripture reading this morning is from the Gospel of Luke, the second chapter, verses 43 to 49. Luke 43 to 49 in the second chapter. This is the word of God to us this morning. After the feast was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. But they were unaware of it, thinking he was in their company. They traveled on for a day. And then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends, and when they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, son, why have you treated us this way? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. And why were you searching for me, he asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? May God illuminate our hearts with this truth from his word this morning. Thank you. I'd like for us to consider this morning Christ's response to his earthly parents. Why were you searching for me, he asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? Now, the King James Version, or what we call the authorized version, reads this way. How is it that ye sought me? Wish ye not that I must be about my father's business? Not in my father's house, but my father's business. The King James uses that word business, while most of the other popular English translations use the word house. In actuality, though, mark this down, the word house and the word business are not written there in the Greek. It's implied by the wording that he was engaged in something related to his father. But that word house, that word business is not there. The, word in, the words in the Greek read this way. Didn't you know that it is necessary that I am in the father? That's the Greek. And it suggests the meaning. Didn't you know that I was in the activities of the father? Jesus was engaged in the things of the Father. He was in the Father's house, but what he was doing was going about the Father's business. And so this morning I want to talk about what it means to be engaged in the Father's business. And we've all heard the saying, whatever is worth doing is worth doing what? Well, right. Someone had also once said, and I like this, a man without an occupation is no better than a dead man and takes up more room. It was an appropriate inquiry which Pharaoh, looking into the welfare of his own kingdom, asks of Jacob and his family on the, the entrance into Egypt, what is your occupation, he asked them. And it was fortunate for them that they were able to, to give a categorical answer. Your servants are shepherds. It's probable that Jonah would not have fared so poorly at the hands of the Phoenician sailors had he been able to give a straightforward answer to their question. What is your occupation? 
And this pitiful prophet, being so far from God's initiated duties, could only give a re response this way. I am a Hebrew, and I fear Jehovah. He had unfortunately just then nothing to do since he was running away from his work. If Jesus of Nazareth had been asked, what is your occupation? With the tools of his craft surrounding him in the wood chips strewn at his feet in that carpenter's shop, he would not have said, my business is carpentry. But rather, I am indeed a carpenter by trade, but this is merely incidental to my great purpose, my true business. My true business is to finish the work which my Father has given unto me, namely to save the world from sin. I had lunch recently with an old friend that I hadn't seen in many years, and he was recounting the, the difficulties he once had with a doctor who viewed him merely as a, as a roofer and therefore incapable of comprehending why the doctor was prescribing a particular course of treatment for his mother. And my friend stopped the doctor and said, roofing is what I do. It's not who I am. And I thought Christians should be able to speak the same way. It goes without saying that the Christian has a trade or a profession of some sort by, by which he earns an honest livelihood, but whether he or she is a merchant or a mechanic or an artist or a teacher, a butcher or a computer technician, in every case, he must still be ready to say, my true business is to cooperate with God in his great enterprise of salvation. And didn't Christ say, as the Father has sent me into the world, so send I you? And this was the response of William Carey, whose reply to Sidney Smith, the English writer and Anglican preach, who, uh, priest who spoke of him derisively as a consecrated cobbler, he said. You see, at the time, William Carey was working, actually, as a cobbler, a map of the world up over his shoulder. And Carey replied, I cobble shoes for a living, but my business is to serve Christ as a fisher of men. My son Matthew sent me this picture the other day. The inscription on the back of the trailer, if you can't see it, asks this question, did you pray today? And then the quotes in scripture at the bottom says, seek the Lord while he may be found, call on him while he is near. Here's a man who's driving a truck, he's doing it for a living while he's engaged in the business of seeking first the kingdom. I knew a man in Florida who owned a printing business, and when you walked into the lobby, the first thing that you saw was this big inscription on the wall. You couldn't miss it. It read this, this business is dedicated to the honor and glory of Jesus Christ. If this, then, is our real occupation as followers of Jesus Christ, it's obvious that in order to gain real success and ultimate reward, an ultimate reward, we should address ourselves to it as a command very seriously. And in this regard, two things are necessary at the outset. First, we should understand the relation of this concern of our faith to other things. 
It must take preeminence and precedence over all. It's recorded for us in the Bible that when Jesus told his parents he must be about his father's business, that says they didn't understand what he was saying. You see, it's difficult for any of us to apprehend that fact that the service of the kingdom is beyond any human occupation. It takes precedence, or it should. We invest the sum and substance of our time and our, our energy in secular affairs, but God he is put off with uh, what we Shakespeare called our superflux, he said. We tire ourselves out with secular work and excuse ourselves from the larger duties of the spiritual life on the grounds that we're worn out from work. But God reminds his people in the Old Testament that crippled lambs and yoke-worn bulls are not to be presented on God's altar. The injunction is, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all necessary things will be added unto you. And the second thing is this. The prerequisite to success in religious work is an understanding of our personal relation to the kingdom. We must keep our relationship to the kingdom in mind. We, as Christians, have much to say about the church, the poor, backsliding, the indolent, the apostate church, but the church is only what you and I and other members make it. The Christian who cares to hear his master's well done must give his or her personal attention to the work that's assigned to him. You cannot farm out your responsibility to the minister or the elders. The church will conquer the world only if we all are at it. Now, with a clear understanding of the relation of our spiritual work to all other pursuits of life and of our individual relation to, to that work, it remains for us to apply certain rules and certain precepts because the Lord's work is no less a business than any other. And I repeat, if we are to succeed in this business, it will be because we address ourselves to it in a business-like way. So let's then observe the maxims which apply to common industry and apply them to the work of the Lord. And the first application is this, be prompt. Be prompt. I read this week about a young man who recently graduated and got a job, but his old car had broken down shortly before his first day of work. So on that first day of work, he began walking the 20 miles to that work at midnight so he wouldn't be late. And his boss was so impressed he gave the new employee his own car and saying this is the kind of employee we want working for us. And so should it not be that when the church bell rings, the servants of Christ who profess to be working for an incorruptible crown should be just as prompt to heed the summons as those who labor for a day's wage. Just an overcast sky will sometimes keep an able-bodied person from attendance in the house of God. 
And the difficulty of obtaining a, a quorum in the meetings of missionary boards or, or church committees is well known, but there's no such difficulty at securing a quorum of bank directors or members of a political council. There's always a quorum in the workplace. And in the workplace, the necessity of promptness is recognized by why not in the church? Is a glorious liberty of the, the children of God a mere license to go on as, as one pleases? Why should the Sunday school teacher pay fast and loose with his responsibilities? Why should the prayer meeting be so thinly attended? Why should the mood of the secular world be so imperative and that of the religious world so secondary? And second, be enthusiastic. Be enthusiastic. The people who win in the marketplace are those who are earnest. If the Christian is half as earnest in the affairs of the kingdom as are the brokers and the politicians in their businesses, he's sure to be called a religious zealot or a fanatic. But what then? Wasn't it written of Christ, the zeal of thy house has eaten me up? And on one occasion, his disciples returning from the city of, of uh, Sekar, where they had gone to buy food, they returned and found him speaking of the woman in the uh, town concerning the welfare of her soul. And when they said, Master, eat, he replied, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me to finish his work. And how many Christians, in the enthusiasm of their service for God, can forget their pangs of hunger to continue on. Remember how earnestly Paul, loaded down with chains in the judgment hall of Caesarea, pressed the claims of the gospel upon his judges. And Festus was so moved, he shouted in a loud voice, Paul, you are beside yourself. Much learning has made you mad. And unfortunately, such madness is rarely found among Christian people. We profess to believe that sinners without Christ are in danger of hell, and yet how indifferent we are. It's strange that the world doubts our sincerity. Are we appointed to be fishers of men, but good fishermen don't sit on the side of the shore idle when the call is made, let down your nets. Third, be in haste. Be in haste. The king's business requires haste. History records that in the time of Henry VIII, all letters bore the picture of a postboy swinging from a gallows with the inscription, haste, post, haste for thy life. How'd you like that job? We're appointed to carry a message of tremendous importance, and there's no excuse for resting by the wayside. On the last visit of D.L. Moody to London, there were among his converts two brothers who, having found their salvation, immediately thought of their third brother in Queenstown, some miles away. And to him they sent an urgent dispatch saying, Come at once. 
business of great importance. And when he came, they gave him no peace until he also had accepted the call of God's mercy. You see, this is business. It's business. Fourth, be deliberate. Deliberation is closely related to haste. John Wesley was accustomed to say, let me be ever in haste, but never in a hurry. And we may learn a lesson from our fire departments. And note the dispatch speed in which the fire trucks travel down the roads to answer the alarm. But once at their destination, how carefully the, the firemen adjust their hoses and, and place their ladders. Property is in danger. Lives are at risk but all the more to be meticulous in labor and to be careful. Take time to pray. Let no complication of duties at the office tempt you to slight the call of God to his mercy seat in prayer. Take time to read your Bible, study it. Take time to get ready prayerfully, carefully for every duty. And our Lord lived in Nazareth in such a quietness for 30 years that we only have a slight glimpse into that formidable year, that period of his life. And then at 12 years of age, we find him saying, did you not know that I must be about my father's business? He patiently toiled on in his carpentry shop, waiting for the fullness of time. And we gain nothing by being impetuous. The matter in hand is of such importance that while wasting no time and losing no opportunity, we can afford to be accurate, deliberate, patient. This is business, and success is the reward of those who proceed in that way. Fifth, be practical. Practical, Voltaire said of his friend La Harpe. He said he is like an oven, always hot, but never cooking anything. We dream dreams and see visions and have splendid purposes which we propose to carry out tomorrow and tomorrow never comes and our hopes and purposes vanish into thin air. Of all things in the world, religion should be most practical since it has to do most closely with the actuarities of, actualities of life. Of all preachers, living and dead, none ever used such a plain common sense as did Jesus Christ in his discourses. And let us imitate him, do noble things, not dream them all day long. Are you in earnest? Seize the very minute. What you can do or dream, you can begin. Six, be progressive. It's a familiar saying that, is, that a successful man is never satisfied. Rockefeller once said, we all know the quote, I think, how much is enough? To which he replied, one dollar more. Man stretches out his hands for more. The last man in the world to be satisfied should be the follower of Christ. There's so much before him. Such vast possibilities of spiritual growth, so many open doors for service, 
so far as to go before reaching the end of life's noble purpose and aspiration. So let us see that every day is a day of progress. The poem says, count that day lost whose low descending sun views from thy hand no worthy action done. Add, that's the word for today. Add, add to your faith, virtue, to virtue, knowledge, and to knowledge, temperance, and to temperance, patience, and to patience, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, charity. Keep adding. Do the next thing better than the last. Aim to be promoted. Someone once said, while there is much jostling among minimal Christians, there is an abundance of room at the top. Be faithful in the least, hoping for the sovereignty of ten cities in the kingdom to come. The rabbis say that the angel came to Methuselah, commanding him to build a house for himself, since he had 500 years to live. To which he answered, if I am to live only 500 years, it's scarcely worthwhile to build me a house. Move on. Move up in the Christian life. Be a better person tomorrow than today. And seventh, and finally, be persistent. Hold on. Hold fast. Hold out. Let no discouragements dishearten you. Have faith in Christ and in the triumph of his gospel. And we must believe in our work if we are to succeed in that work. And faith is the mother of patience. When Sir Christopher Wren, you remember him, when he was a young boy, the doctor said he could never live long enough to reach adulthood. But he had conceived and thought of a splendid cathedral. And in his young imagination, he saw the form completed. Its lofty pillars in place, its mighty arches above. And he felt he could not die until he had realized his purpose. For 35 years, his frail body subsisted in hope. And when at length St. Paul's Cathedral in London was finished, he was ready to go. That's what it means to live, to set one's face steadfastly toward the consummation of high purpose until one may say, like Christ, it is finished. Blessed is the man who can conclude his autobiography with these words, I have finished the work which thou gave me to do. This is true success. All else is failure. And the final reward of faithfulness in this real business of life is promotion. That is to say, there's more of the Lord's business to do. We enter heaven at the master's call, come up higher. You've been faithful with a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Are we worthy? If a workman in one's employ were to leave tomorrow in search of a better position, he would probably ask for a reference and would think himself unfortunate if the employer 
could not say something to this effect, to whom it may concern, the bearer has served me faithfully, and I cordially commend him as a capable, industrious, and trustworthy person. The time is coming when we must all pass from this present sphere of usefulness to another further on. Has our service been such that our master can count us worthy of promotion to the higher tasks and responsibility of heavenly life? We're indentured to serve him loyally and industriously here and now. But there's a future life, a promoted life, and entrance depends upon the commendation of Christ. So ask yourself, what can he say on my behalf right now? May God bless his own word to us this morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we once again this morning have come before your throne, we ask ourselves that question, what can you say about our life just now? Have we been faithful in the small things? Are you prepared to promote us to greater? Do we love you so much that our faith and our work for you is not secondary but primary above all things, that our work is to bring forth your coming kingdom? Help us, Lord, to praise that as our priority in all matters of life and help us to do more tomorrow than we did today. And we thank you and praise you in Jesus' precious name. Amen. For more information about Chestnut Hill Baptist Church, or to subscribe to these audio messages via our podcast, visit our website at chestnuthillbaptist.org. You can also write to us at Chestnut Hill Baptist Church, 2 Bethlehem Pike, Philadelphia, PA, 19118.